0: Dolbot in the morning Dolbot in the evening Dolbot in the afternoon jay schneider bobby hennebury and cord savvy are proud to announce the release of Dolbot diddy episode eight check it out on itunes and other music providers that's right no more replaying episode eight again and again skipping ahead to minute 28 and 57 seconds you can download your very own copy of the song and listen to it whenever you want include it in your playlists It's even available in common social media apps and those wacky TikTok and Reels videos. Look for it on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get your music. Welcome back to all of you great members of the J-Luck Club, presented as always by Honey Roasted T-Shirts. Not sure if you're a member of the club? Well, if you're listening to this podcast, then you most certainly are a member in good standing, in great standing. Don't forget to check out HoneyRoastedT-Shirts.com for more pictures and extras. In case you haven't picked up on it or gotten here by mistake, I'm Jay, and I'm thrilled to have you with me as I reread some emails I wrote 20 years ago while wandering through Asia. This is episode number 12, and while I'm not going to commit to a firm number, I think I've got about six more episodes to go after this one to complete my journey. So we're at about the two-thirds point in this series, and I think we're doing fine so far. I think we can do this. We'll get through it together. If you've missed the previous episodes, I encourage you to go back and give them a listen. You can find all of them at the thejluckclubpodcast.com or get extras, pictures, bonus content, and more at honeyroastedtshirts.com. But if you want automated delivery of each and every episode to your own podcast listening device, then please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. As a reminder, The Dollbot Diddy is available for download from iTunes, you can also stream it on Spotify and other streaming apps. I encourage you to own it. I'm not claiming to be the J-pop phenomenon like Black Biscuit. Check out episode 10. And have no plans to take over the Japanese pop charts, but still, go and download it. Get yourself a copy. As I said before, this is episode 12, and at this point in my journey, I was finally leaving Nepal. A magnificent country, and again, a country where I stayed far longer than planned, maxing out my visa. But I finally made it to India. I now take you to an internet cafe in Delhi, India. Date, Sunday, December 3rd, 2000. From Jay Schneider. Subject, Beware the Monkeys. A few things before we get started. In my last update, I told you Nepal is 5 hours and 15 minutes ahead of GMT. This was, of course, a mistake. The correct time difference is 5 hours, 45 minutes ahead of GMT. I apologize for the confusion. And while on the topic of confusion, no, this isn't about the U.S. presidential election that I ended up not missing after all, some of you have been asking when I'm coming home. Others are under the impression that I'd be home before Christmas. I think I understand why you may be confused. Your mistake was in believing me when I said, I'll be home for Christmas. You should have known better than to trust my young and naive words. The fact is, I won't be home for Christmas. I'll be in Thailand again. But you can expect me after about four or five more countries. Don't worry, one of them's really tiny. And now, on with the show. After finally getting my visa for India, I left Kathmandu, and after a long, uncomfortable bus ride they don't let you sit on the roof at night, And a brief side trip to the birthplace of Buddha, I left Nepal. It was a spectacular two months. I hope to make it back someday. Walking into India is a bit chaotic, and it's quite easy to miss the immigration checkpost, wedged between the shops, food stalls, and street vendors. Fortunately, when I tried to get my passport stamped by a woman selling eggplant, she pointed me in the right direction. I had finally arrived in India, and all the bad things meant to happen did. At the end of a long, cramped bus ride, Half my butt had a seat. Before I could get off the bus, some man was kind enough to take possession of my backpack. I was able to grab it back through the window. And the travel agent from whom I was to pick up my already paid too much for train ticket held said ticket for ransom using the most ridiculous and absurd scam. Finally at the train station, I spent several hours waiting for a train which seemed not to exist and nobody seemed to know anything about. It finally arrived and I slept hard and well, only being woken by hungry mosquitoes and thoughts of malaria which I had yet to contract. At last I arrived in Varanasi, India's holiest city on the holiest river in the world, and stayed for a week. The touts, pushers, and friends weren't nearly as bad as I'd prepared for, but it took a day or two to realize this, and finally I relaxed, let my guard down, and simply enjoyed myself. I hung out on the Ganga River at sunrise, sunset, and under a full moon and I watched the bodies burn and corpses float down the river. Ah, so relaxing. Next was Agra, home of the Taj Mahal and a number of other, until quite recently very affordable, sites and monuments. I spent a huge amount of money in one day seeing all the sites and enjoyed bitching about the India-wide price hikes with other travelers and people in the tourist industry. To be fair, perhaps tourists should share more of the burden of protecting World Heritage sites and other points of interest, But when you're low on funds and only a few weeks ago could have paid pennies instead of dollars, bitching and whining seems like the right thing to do, and it's a lot of fun. My next stop was Kajuraho, and if you've never heard of it, I hadn't either until my guidebook flipped open by chance to that section. It's a little bit out of the way. On the road from nowhere to nowhere, says the Lonely Planet. I had to do some backtracking. But most travelers fit it in between Varanasi and Agra. Lonely Planet. Oh! Jay Schneider and it's a bit costly. UNESCO World Heritage Site equals money. But while reading my guidebook on the train to Agra, something captured my attention. Three words, erotic temple carvings. Okay, actually, just one of those words motivated me to ride a cramped train, two rickshaws, and a so, so, so full bus for eight hours, half a butt on a seat. Man, oh man, was it worth it. I'll refrain from saying more about the carvings as Mixed Company and miners may read this list. Delhi for a couple days, mostly to do errands, buying plane and train tickets, laundry, email, and then back up to the Pakistani border to Amritsar, home of the Sikh's golden temple. I spent the night in the pilgrim's lodging and ate in the temple kitchen. In spite of my being sick, not to be confused with Sikh, of the fever, ache, and cough variety, I really enjoyed my time there. The temple is open to all, and many people were very helpful and friendly to me. And here's the kicker. They didn't once ask me for money. Even the room and food are free. Of course, I gave a donation, but after weeks of feeling nobody will even tell you the time for free, it was a refreshing change of pace. Also, the Sikhs are badass. They're quite proud of their assassination of Indira Gandhi. Lesson learned, the Sikh will help and serve all, but don't fuck with them. Oh, sorry, fuck. Mixed company and miners and finally on to Dharamsala, which apart from being home to His Holiness the Dalai Lama and Tibet's government in exile, is also rather cold. I was further north than even Nepal, though the altitude was not as high. In spite of the cold, I was happy to be back in the Himalaya and realize I really love mountains. In addition to experiencing a slice of living Tibetan culture, something nearly impossible to do in Tibet these days, I enjoyed many fine walks and hikes, and came to a better understanding of the Buddhist philosophy of the impermanence and suffering of life when a monkey stole my donut. Come to think of it, I think the same thing happened to Homer Simpson once. There are many opportunities to take classes in Tibetan Buddhism, philosophy, yoga, meditation retreats where you don't talk for 10 days, but I needed something a little more practical and down-to-earth. I chose a six-day hand-healing course taught by Lama Lobsang Tamcho, Niemna, a recognized tolku. That's a reincarnation, though of whom I never found out. My health insurance had just expired, so I figured being able to heal myself with the energy of my hands was the most practical thing I could do. Naturally, with my study of Japan and Asian cultures, I'd learned quite a bit about Buddhism, though mostly secondhand, as a means to better understand the literature and culture. In Dharamsala, I decided the time was right to more directly and deliberately study Buddhist philosophy and had some difficult questions. For instance, does love and compassion for all living creatures include cockroaches? Because Buddhism makes a lot of sense and I'd be tempted to sign on, but I've got a thing against cockroaches and a firm belief that if I see one in my home, it must die at all costs. So I went to the security office and asked when the Dalai Lama would have his next public audience, but no dates had yet been fixed. I decided to address my issues in my own private meditation, though I began with a simpler question. Will my path to enlightenment be hindered by swiftly kicking donut-stealing monkeys? But D. Sala wasn't all about monks and meditation. My guidebook told me that it was a good place for chocolate cake, and always wanting to experience local culture and foods, I experienced it as often as possible. I never questioned why this Tibetan community in northern India would have chocolate cake as a local specialty. Ours is not to ask why, only where and how much. And to show that old habits die hard, I spent the evenings volunteering teaching English to Tibetan refugees. Finally, healing certificate in hand, Chocolate cake in stomach, no hair on head, I had it shaved again. It was time to bid farewell to Dharamsala. I did discover, however, that the following week there would be a festival celebrating the 60th anniversary of the God King's installment as the Dalai Lama. He would make speeches and prayers, and perhaps I could have a chance to meet him. I struggled with this decision for days. Even without the festival and chocolate cake, Dharamsala is the kind of place where one could easily spend a month, but I realized it was time for me to move on. Even the Dalai Lama could not fill the void inside of me. The emptiness I feel is a result of missing the Pushkar Camel Fair, and I knew it could only be satisfied by heading south to Rajasthan and finding an adequate substitute. I've got a camel safari in my future. J. Camels ho! Schneider I left Kathmandu on an overnight bus heading south for the Indian border. Even under the best of circumstances, getting sleep can be a challenge on a bus, and this particular bus is not one I would rank at the top end of the scale, but even when I did have sleep within my grasp, my throbbing, freshly, and improperly pierced ear would remind me of its painful existence and bring me back to consciousness. So I arrived in Lumbini, Nepal the next morning, tired, uncomfortable, and still not in India. The not being in India part was by design, There would be another bus that afternoon to take me the rest of the way, so I had a few hours to spend, which I'd already allocated to go visit the birthplace of Buddha. After finding a ride to the site and spending an appropriate amount of time, there's really not much there, I headed back to town and made my arrangements for the next leg of my journey. I've talked before about generally choosing independence over convenience. It's easy in life if you have the money or are in a low cost of living a region where your money goes farther to simply pay more and have everything taken care of for you. And sometimes it's not about the cost, but the choice, the freedom, and not staying in a bubble. When I went to purchase my bus ticket for Gorakhpur, India, this was the first town in India where I could catch the train, the agent offered to get my Indian train ticket through to Varanasi. As it was, I'd be arriving at night, hoping to get a ticket on an overnight train to Varanasi, and I was exhausted from having not really slept much in 30 hours, and well, yeah, this is one of those times where I chose to take the deal, knowing I'd be paying more for something I could take care of myself. But at least I would know I wouldn't be stuck in a town I didn't want to be at all night. No offense to the fine people of Gorakhpur. This way, I'd ensure my arrival at Varanasi the next morning. So I got my bus ticket, as well as a receipt for the train ticket, which I would pick up at the travel agent near the train station in Gorakhpur. A couple hours later, I had walked across the border into India. I don't know why I get such a kick out of walking across international borders, but I still do to this day. Not apologizing for it and I got half my butt on a seat of a very crowded bus. We arrived in Gorakhpur, and it was dark. Very dark. I stood up in the bus, and the typical traffic jam and bottleneck that occurs in an aisle that as everyone tries to disembark at the same time, as I patiently stood in the aisle behind the other passengers, I noticed the baggage from atop the bus was being unloaded. I looked out the window and saw bags being handed thrown down to eager hands below and was unpleasantly surprised to see my own backpack landing in the hands of a man who happily took possession and turned around to walk away. Conveniently, this unsanctioned exchange was happening outside the bus window, nearest where I was standing, and I was quick enough to reach my hands out of the bus, grab my pack, and pull it back through the window. As you can imagine, I may not have been in the best mood at this point. Welcome to India. After deboarding the bus and taking a look around, There was no clear indication of where we were in relation to the rest of the town, let alone the train station. So I found a pedigab driver to take me to the station. This was also a challenge because I had no Indian rupee. So it was quite the negotiation to explain that I could either exchange some Nepali rupee once we got into town, or just give him double the fare in another currency and let him deal with it. But these kind of things happen in travel, and at least I didn't have to worry about the train ticket. So, still tired and exhausted, I made my way to the travel agent and I presented my receipt. There were a few people in the office, and they told me to take a seat, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw they had a small conference, and something was handed to one of the participants, and he left. Looking back, I'm surprised I was so hyper-observant, given I was so tired, but I vividly remember all these small details. In spite of my rough arrival to this country, I wasn't yet consciously on high alert or suspicious of any nefarious activity, I just noticed all this was happening, as I patiently awaited them to sort out whatever they needed to to get me my ticket. Thankful to have my entire butt completely on a seat. Then the phone rang. They picked it up. Then they handed it to me. Okay, so I don't think anyone likes being scammed, whether it's the principle of the injustice or the pride of not wanting to be made a fool or the actual loss of money or whatever has been scammed or whatever has been taken. But setting all that aside, if you're going to scam me, You at least have to play at a level that will earn my begrudging respect. So the phone is handed to me, and while they are telling me the setup, I'm seeing the whole picture, the whole chessboard, and I'm really just thinking, this is freaking ridiculous. On the other end of the phone, the man said, I'm not going to do any accent. Hello, I am the station manager for the railway. There are no more train tickets for tonight's train. If you want to be able to get on the train tonight, I recommend that you give these people some money and they will go on the black market and be able to purchase one for you so you can get on your way. So while I'm incredulously listening to this lame pitch and countering with a few questions to poke holes in the flimsy story, I'm also rapidly doing all the calculations of possible scenarios and outcomes. I can protest, I can cause a fuss, I can refuse to pay, try to find police, negotiate a different price, yell, scream, threaten, or just walk out and not give them anything more than they already have. But regardless of which path I chose, the most likely outcome would be I'd end up without a train ticket, leaving me to find another one which, one, I'd have to pay for anyway, and two, I may be stuck for the night in Gorakhpur. I'd say no offense to the people of Gorakhpur, but now that I've had attempted theft and extortion, yeah, I'm happy to offend. It took less than half a second to determine the most economical, rational, and practical decision was just to pay the ransom, get my ticket, and be on my way. This was sweating the small stuff that just didn't deserve any more of my time and energy. Rationally, I knew this was the best decision, but this was a tough pill for me to swallow because of my principles, my pride, my ego. You, you can't get away with this. You can't possibly win at this game when your skills are so sophomorically pathetic. Honestly, I'd rather they have just said, you need to pay us an additional service fee for picking up the ticket rather than put on this amateurish theatrical event. I may have grumbled, knowing I was getting fleeced for some extra money, but it would have been much more straightforward. Anyway, though I made my displeasure known, I tempered my words, knowing I should also wait to make sure I got a ticket in hand before I tell them what I really think. So I tell them I will pay. Another guy runs out. I sit there, with a death glare at those remain, a look of, You do realize that I know you're full of crap, and I don't believe any of this, and I think your scam is so lame and weak. Up your game, people. About five minutes later, the guy who had run out comes back with, ta-da, a train ticket for the night train to Varanasi. The black market has saved me, just as the station manager on the phone had predicted. I get the ticket securely in my possession, again knowing that this is a situation where I just need to let it go and get on with my life. I examine the ticket in my hand. Fun fact, a reserve ticket on an Indian train also had the passenger's gender and age. As futile and unproductive as it may have been, I spoke aloud, dripping with sarcasm. Wow, I'm so glad you were able to help me and get a ticket. And would you look at that? The random ticket which you just now got for me on the black market just happens to have been one for a man with the same age as me. What are the odds? Again, they were getting the result they wanted, and it was a success for them. And again, pure economics and ration concluded that this was not worth any effort or energy, and I just needed to move on. But I couldn't completely control my ego, which felt the only valid course of action was to attempt at least to attack their egos. Before I walking out, I stood up and said, You guys are really amateurs at this and have to do better. I don't know where you learned your techniques or if you came up with this crap yourselves, but you guys are children. You guys need to learn how to play with the big boys. And I walked out the door. Sometimes to this day, when I receive an unsolicited call from an unidentified number stating that my social security number has been suspended for illegal use or that Microsoft technical team has detected my Apple computer has been infected with viruses or that they are the Internal Revenue Service and the cops are on their way to arrest me unless I buy a bunch of Google Play gift cards, I think back to those guys in Gorakhpur and wonder what they're up to. Or if they're on the other end of that scam call. So yeah, welcome to India. There were a few more bumps on the way to Varanasi, and given my first 24 hours in the country, I definitely had my defenses up for the first couple days. But I finally got into the groove of India, let my guard down, opened up again, and had a wonderful time getting lost in the alleys of Varanasi, drinking endless cups of chai from clay cups on the banks of the Ganga River. On a lighter scam note, one day I was venturing to visit a fort outside of Varanasi. It was on the far side of the river, so you had to pay a fare to someone with a rowboat. I paid my rupees and got in the boat. Halfway across the river, the boatman asked me for more money. Unlike the train ticket fiasco, this time I was laughing and all smiles and I said no. You may just think it was me standing my ground, but I had to once again laugh at the amateurish nature of this shakedown. You see, there were 15 other people in the boat with me, all locals. Seriously, dude, are you going to hold us all hostage while you try to squeeze me for a few extra rupees? I don't think you really thought this through. Maybe he was just a naive guy who suddenly remembered that he had heard somewhere that sometimes you can get more money out of the rich foreigners, but he really didn't have a plan. The teacher and me wanted to explain how to better set up the scam or get some leverage. For example, he could have dropped me off somewhere and then jacked up the price, being the only way I could get a ride back. But anyways, I just politely declined, laughed, and we kept going. I've given so much airtime to my rough entry into this amazing country, but I assure you, India is an incredible country to explore. The next few weeks were fantastic, from Varanasi to Agra to Gujuraho to Amritsar and up to Dharamsali to hang with the Tibetan monks. In addition to the travelers I befriended, I had great conversation with the locals, whether they were sitting on a train next to me and we talked for hours, or they just came up to me on the streets and we started chatting away. Kids would run up to me and speak with pride and amazement about some star cricket player getting their 300th wicket as I smiled with faux amazement, pretending that that had any meaning at all to me. Note, it is really cool to see all the kids playing cricket in the alleyways and streets in India. And on more than one occasion, I had very adult propositions from Indian men, and while I politely declined their generous offers, it did give the ego a little boost. Nice to know I still had it. After time in more densely populated areas of India, it was nice to retreat to the mountains, and apart from the battle with a wild monkey over baked goods, it was rather peaceful. Oh, and there was a small near avalanche I created in the rocks while on a solo hike to a local peak, but I won't talk about that now. I was there for almost two weeks, and to my point in my previous episode, it was exactly the type of place one could comfortably stay for weeks or longer at relatively low cost. Actually, Dan and Justin were there around the same time I was, but they were participating in one of those retreats I mentioned where you go off somewhere and you don't talk for 10 days, so we never connected. As much as I enjoyed it, though the only way to survive the cold mountain showers was by me shouting at the top of my lungs, This is refreshing! This is refreshing and energizing! But I did wake up one morning and feel it was time to move on. There was more I wanted to see and do in this country, and yes, that included finding me some camels. So I left the mountains and set off to Rajasthan. So I'll end on this thought. In all my travels, some of the most challenging times happened when I was solo. I don't mean traveling solo was challenging. I just mean that my roughest episodes and lowest points on my journey, I was alone. And in just about all those situations, had there been somebody with me, it would have been much easier to get through those moments. Even if having a travel buddy wouldn't have solved the actual problem we were facing, just having a partner or or a crew would have made the situation much less harrowing and there would have been some comfort in at least knowing I wasn't alone. That said, as much as I emphasize that travel is about people and those amazing connections, I'm glad I had to face those challenges and low moments alone. And I got through it all, on my own. I faced those trials and tribulations solo, and I survived. You know what? Looking back, I I actually thrived. At the time, I was just doing whatever I had to do in the moment to handle what was in front of me or get wherever I needed to go. When I was on my trip, I often got emails from friends and family, admiring the boldness of my solo adventure, They read my emails in disbelief, unable to imagine themselves daring to take on the world, and they were impressed. I'll admit, these days, I look back on some of the situations I got myself into or that life threw at me, and sometimes I have trouble believing that was me and that I actually did that. And you know what? That 20-something-year-old kid with a backpack and a dream? Yeah, I'll admit that He kind of impresses me, too. That's all for this week. For some pictures of me and Llama Lobsang, I didn't take any pictures of the guy who tried to take my backpack, or the monkey who stole my donut, head on over to t shirtscom Once again, big thanks to Honey Roasted T-Shirts for their support. Honey Roasted T-Shirts. They don't make T-Shirts, but you can be sure if they did, they'd be Honey Roasted. Are you a member of the J-Luck Club? Would you like to be? If so, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, and visit the aforementioned Honey Roasted T-Shirts to check out more. Don't forget to download a copy of Dalbot Diddy from iTunes. You can stream it on Spotify and look for it wherever you get your music. But the J-Luck Club and Chord Savvy would love a download. Or if you're going to stream it, make sure you play it about 10,000 times. Next time, I finish off the Indian leg of my trip, finally getting my camel adventure, catching a Bollywood movie, and spending many, 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 many hours on Indian trains. If you listen to this podcast, or if you've read the emails or visited the blog, or maybe you downloaded your very own copy of Dollbot Diddy available on iTunes, Spotify, and other music stores, well, you just might be a member of the J-Luck Club. Thank you for staying tuned to Journal Extras. Hey, look, i got, ooh, we got a lot of pages here, so let me see what I can do. Cramped minibus to Gorakhpur. Just under three hours. Guy takes my bag off the bus. I take it back through the window. Fine travel agent. Pick up my ticket. Let the scams begin. Says, oh, we don't have a ticket for you. Oh yeah, two things about that scam. So yeah, I mean, it was only 75 rupees I had to pay uh, on top of what I'd already paid. So that's why, I mean, it was not really anything I should have sweat. It was really just principle that was just so absurdly ridiculous. But also printed on the ticket was the time the ticket was purchased. And of course, it was purchased earlier in the day. Conveniently, May 26, purchased that morning. Find a place in Varanasi to stay. Man in the lobby asks where I'm from. I tell him the States. He tells me he used to live in D.C., Oh, yeah? At this point, I'm not believing anything that's coming out of his mouth. I stayed in the White House for a week. (laughs) Oh, really? Not believing him and wondering what's in that pipe he's smoking. I'm a professor of astrology. Nancy Reagan invited me. Huh. Maybe this guy is telling the truth. November 17th. Kajuraho, Kama Sutra in stone. Temple carvings are amazing, on par with Angkor's, though the subject matter may influence that opinion. Wake up. Eat. Rent a bicycle. Go off to the eastern temples. Kid wannabe guide attaches himself to me. He's really good, he's explaining quite a bit, so I give him a few rupees and feel good about it. We go to his home. I meet his brother. We eat some food, we drink tea. They take me to their school. I visited a class, it was really cool. November 18th. I wake up at 421, pack, walk to the bus in the dark. I get a window seat, which means the guy next to me leans over me to spit out the window every three minutes. Back to Jhansi, buy a ticket, on the train. No luck getting seats. Man offers me his, asks where I'm going. I answer, he runs to his briefcase, grabs me, and we jump off the departing moving train. Says this train is faster, he explains, as he gets us both seats. That guy saved me two and a half hours, thanks. Sikh man next to me gives me cookies. The Indian English teacher across from me recommends places of interest. We have good conversation. November 20th, decision. I buy my ticket to Thailand. is the best rate I find. I could wait till I get back from Dharamsala, but I don't know how long I'll be there, and since it's getting close to Christmas, I could be tough to pull off. I decide the 19th sounds about right, making an even six weeks in India. Chat with two Indian lawyers on the train. We have differing views on life, love, and marriage. Train delayed and then slow. At the train station. Fight to get through the line and get a ticket. I'm becoming a pro at this now. train is full so I have to stand finally a seat opens up and I sit down with a family the kids continually feed me peanuts then they get off November 25th today there's a free spirit festival it's kind of like a free Tibet festival it may seem like a big deal but they probably have them every week there go for a kick-ass no retreat no surrender walk hike climb back to waterfall follow river hope hopping rock to rock crisscrossing countless times totally loving this November 29th, morning meditation, 6.30 a.m. on the rooftop, one hour meditation. Beautiful sunrise, clear skies, gorgeous. Wandering through Dharamsala, I see a sign in Japanese for a new Japanese restaurant. I decide to investigate. They have Okonomiyaki. Oh my god. Today's plan, another no retreat, no surrender hike. I spot a peak. I'm making good time. I think I'll be up there by one. I hit a dead end, requires some technical climbing, which I'm able to do. Uh Uh-oh, note in my journal. I will, double underlined will, all caps, I will write a book about all this. Hmm, I wonder if a podcast counts. I'm gonna do it, self-publish it. I'm gonna get a new notebook and journal, write all the notes and write something, oof. Podcast counts, right? All right, I think I'm done, done, done.